your Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Hey, welcome inside the Locked On Longhorns podcast. I am your host, Patrick Conn. Follow me on Twitter at Pat Sports Guy. You can follow my esteemed co-host, Cammie Angie, on Twitter. So, Cammie, first off, how are you doing? Uh, you know, it's been a week since we put together a podcast. Uh, so, you know, anything new? What's going on with you? Not too much. I mean... I don't know. I've been doing stuff around the house. I've been trying to be outside as much as possible, you know, doing some yard work and cleaning around here. But otherwise, just your typical uh, normal work days. I feel like my days are still scattered. I don't know what a weekend is or anything anymore, but um, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Uh, you know, I'd like to say that I'm feeling like Patrick Mahomes this morning. I'd say oh, I feel like a million bucks, but uh, I don't think Patrick Mahomes. You mean, um, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think you'd want that pay cut. Uh, God, I can't believe how big that deal was. Half a billion dollars is what it could have uh, been. Can you just, imagine what you could do with all of that money? Nah, it's more money than I can even, like, I can't even wrap my brain around it. Uh, really cool, though, that he is from not only the Big 12, but uh, Texas. So, And he actually still works out in Texas quite a bit. So he's a really uh, down-to-earth guy. I'm, I'm really happy for him. Yeah, you know, I spent some time with Mahomes a little bit when I was covering uh, you know, recruiting in the state of Texas. And, and, you know, he was a guy that I talked to a little bit, you know, being out in White House, Texas, a little East Texas town. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing to watch the progression of some of these guys, you know, whether they played at Texas or not, but you watch their progression from high school to college and then the pros, you know, and, and it's just really, it's a really cool thing to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to, we're going to dive right into a full Lockdown Longhorns podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Uh, we got Big 12 plans amid COVID, state fair canceled, impact on the Red River rivalry. And then we're going to get into some other things such as a uh, top moment in sports center history. And uh, we'll get into some uh, Tom Herman discussion a little bit later on. But first, I want to talk a little bit about the Big 12 plans. And, you know, it, it seems like right now the momentum has been building for the idea of a spring college football season yeah I kind of get that feeling too but gosh I'm glad I'm not in charge of I guess that scheduling aspect because I feel like it's going to kind of um I don't know there's going to be a lot of scheduling conflicts like we've mentioned several times the NFL draft and how that'll impact players like Trevor Lawrence um he's expected to be the number one overall pick as he you know like you'd be tempted to kind of uh, sit out a spring season if that was the case but I don't know. I I really wish or hope it can go on as scheduled, but it seems very doubtful. Yeah, the Big 12 has come out and said that, you know, until officials come out and say you can't play this fall, uh, you know, they're they're putting one foot in front of the other and preparing for a September 5th kickoff mm-hmm. uh, for most of the Big 12. Uh, the interesting part is the Ivy League is expected to announce today that they are moving to a spring schedule. Uh, the kind of the consensus of that I've gotten from, you know, asking around the league and different people, they don't believe that the major FBS conferences are going to follow suit much like, and for the simple reason, uh, the big reason that they bring up is that the Ivy league schools don't have the financial impact that some of these other schools have. Right. And, And moving, you know, football to the spring. And my whole deal is it doesn't look like, 
COVID is going anywhere anytime soon. So what does actually moving it to the spring accomplish? Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's it's tough for me. I, at this point, I think would be, I guess, content if there was a college football season in general. Um, I know a lot of Texas fans and things like that want, obviously, to see Sam Ellinger in his senior season. So I'm fine with them moving to the spring, I guess, if they can work out all those schedule conflicts and things like that and maybe push the NFL draft back, even though they said they wouldn't. But I think right now it's just a little early still and people are just kind of hoping for the best and um, kind of talking in a safe manner. I don't think anyone truly knows how this is going to play out yet. Well, the interesting part is the NFL hasn't come out and said that they won't move it. It's just Mm -hmm. people who are in the know have said the NFL won't move it. And that's where the impact really happens. Cause I think that that could impact a player like Sam Ellinger. I think Sam could for, for sure say, you know what, uh, I'm going to prepare for my next step, and that's playing in the NFL, getting ready for the NFL draft, pro days, um, all the different things that they do. It makes you wonder, though, if they move to the spring, what does that do for the senior game, the senior bowl game that they play in January in, in Mobile, Alabama every year? What does that do for a player like Sam Ellinger, uh, Samuel Cosme, who people feel like was going to go to the NFL draft last year? He took a look, decided to come back. Now he's kind of viewed as this fringe top 20 NFL draft pick, does he set out? What about a player like Caden Stearns, does he set out? And, mm-hmm. and the thing that I bring that up, because if the NFL draft doesn't move, then they're going to be doing the draft while the college football season is going on. So like you said, a Justin Fields, a, uh, a Trevor Lawrence, mm-hmm. you know, those guys who could say, you know what, I'm not going to play. Uh, Panay Sewell out in Oregon, you know, could they be playing with all a brand new offensive line? Because they had a, they lost everybody except for Sewell who's viewed as the number, uh, a potential number one overall draft pick, you know, yeah. depending on who's drafting. And so you look at all these guys that could go out and, and not play, and it's like, how does that impact that? We could be looking at a Texas football season where we're having to find out about Hudson Card, Jaquindon Jackson, like, immediately. Well, I don't, I definitely don't think that's the case because I think Ellinger needs to play to kind of um, up his draft stock and things like that. I think that his senior season is really important to him and I think he has higher goals. Um, Obviously he wants to contend for a national championship. He's going to be a Heisman contender most likely. Um, And I think he needs to have a really uh, solid season, especially uh, through the air in terms of his NFL draft stock. So I think he's a guy that needs to get on the field and would want to get on the field for that reason. But um, I understand other guys who are kind of those consistent top 20, even 30 picks that uh, might feel the need to maybe sit out. But hopefully they can figure that out. I don't see that um, happening to where they either play in the spring and don't move the draft back or whatever else. So um, I don't know. I just I just think it's too early and we're going to hear a lot of he said, she said stuff. But uh, hopefully we'll find out soon. So, Cam, if the players are, are going to play this season, what that could do is really change the way that they do the supplemental draft. You know, where, where a team can give up a future pick to select one of these players at wherever they would, would feel that they are. So that could be one impact if they decide to play the spring schedule in the NFL draft doesn't move. Right. I think there's a lot of different, I guess, avenues you could take if it does get moved. But, I mean, it's all dependent on one if the college football season, or I guess, does get moved to the spring, whether they move the NFL draft or not. Um, I think there's obviously a lot of other sports and major moments going on at that time too. So there's just so many schedule conflicts that I don't, I'm, I'm just happy we don't have to deal with that, but I don't know how they would necessarily go about that. So um, let's just hope and pray that for some 
some reason they're able to kick off on time as scheduled and uh, even without no fans in the stands. Yeah, and I think that I think you make a good point. And it also there a lot of the impact as part of the financial, uh, you know, advertising and you know TV deals. I mean, there's there's so much on the line here that it's hard to try and make a decision, you know, just based on the COVID when there's so many other things in play. Um, even if people don't feel that they're as high on the priority list as the health and well-being of the players. Yeah. And speaking of, the actual State Fair of Texas was canceled, I believe, um, on Tuesday of this week it was announced. So um, that's pretty significant considering it's kind of a major tradition in terms of the Texas OU game and the Red River rivalry. I know everyone goes to the State Fair. They obviously get to the game really early and start tailgating, things like that. So it's kind of a kind of something you do when you just go to that game. And I think um, they obviously made a smart decision. There's hundreds and thousands of people that go to that every year. And I mean, you're touching and sharing pretty much everything at the state fair like that. So I think in terms of the COVID aspect, that was smart, but I'm not sure exactly how it impacts the Red River rivalry because I think they could still play at the Cotton Bowl. I just think um, it's definitely impactful in terms of whether fans will be allowed at the game or not. Uh, well, you know, it's it's interesting, the State Fair being canceled for the very first time since World War II. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, so it's been a long time since since we've had to go a, a year in which there was no State Fair. But I actually think that the impact on the Red River rivalry is much less than people would think. I think this allows for them to be, to have, I should say, 50,000 people in the stands for that game. 25,000 per school, because I think what it does is it creates a controlled environment for the Red River rivalry. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what the way I'm looking at it, because they're not, you know, playing or um, they're not going to have to deal with the traffic and all the people that would be there normally. And, you know, how do you how do you limit people at the Texas State Fair because of COVID-19 and, and all those things? I think when when you look at it, I think that's how it's really going to impact it. And I think that it even more so allows that game to take place on the at the Cotton Bowl at the Texas Fairgrounds because there won't be so many people there. Yeah, and I like the controlled environment aspect. That's a good way to look at it. I just think if it does impact any part of that game, it's just impacting the attendance more than anything else. I think obviously uh, both teams playing there would still happen. I think being at the Cotton Bowl, obviously, and um, I'm, I'm just concerned about the percentage of fans that will be able to attend. I thought um, that was probably the only impact the cancellation of the State Fair would make. So we'll see. He definitely will see. But next, we're going to get into a little bit more. What, what about bands attending games for road games? Top moment featuring Vince Young in the NFL mock draft update. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at rockauto.com. Let's say you have an issue. Carburetor. Maybe you need a new fuel pump. You got to check out my friends over at rockauto.com. I mean, they make it so easy. You can go online. You don't have to go anywhere. (laughs) Let's say there was a problem with your car. It wouldn't start. You can't go anywhere. You don't have to worry about getting this hauled off somewhere. You can go to rockauto.com. They got every make, model, parts that you need. So just check them out, rockauto.com. Tell them Locked On Longhorn sent you. So came the news broke on Tuesday that they will be benching bands. And cheerleaders, spirit squads, whatever you want to call them, they are being benched for road games. Are, are you surprised at this? And 
So how much does that really change the environment of a college football game? I think it does kind of considerably, but um, it just, I think, is kind of a nick at the home team because they can most likely, as far as I've heard, have their band there. And I think that's the most important at a home game. Um, might, might make it a little tougher on the visitor team, but I think it's a smart thing to do. Bands are fairly large and it's going to impact the attendance, which is already uh, severely decreasing as the weeks go on. And so um, it's just less travel and things like that. I think it's a smart decision. Um, But like I said, I think it just makes it a little bit tougher on the visitor team, but having the home band there will uh, make a big difference. You know, what does that do for neutral site games? Does that mean neither? Ooh, see, that would make a big impact. You know, so, so let's talk Texas OU Red River rivalry, right? I mean, who's who's going to play? Is it um, are they going to allow either one, or are they going to uh, whoever's the designated home team? So, I think Texas is the designated road team this year. Uh, so, are they not going to be allowed? I mean, are we going to have to listen to Boomer sooner after every play? I mean, well, maybe the- maybe they'll. I guess at that point um, in October, maybe they'll allow like partial, like a part of the bands. I'm not sure, just to try and keep it uh, level on the playing field, I guess, but. Yeah, that would definitely be um, a big impact. Yeah, yeah, that's when I was looking at that, I was like, oh, okay, you know, that makes sense. And home teams, I mean, uh, you know, having your band there and and only, you know, how does that input the halftime show? Does that mean does that mean that the Texas Longhorns band is going to play an entire halftime show instead of having to split it with the other band and all the different things that they do and not having the cheerleaders and you know mm-hmm. all of that? And so the sidelines aren't going to be as crowded. Uh, or maybe they split them up where they take the home side and have them on both sides, you know, right. You know, there's so many things that they could do with this, but you know, I just thought it was interesting that they were deciding to bench the bands and, and the, in the cheerleaders for, for road teams as, as was recently reported. So I thought it was interesting, but you know, that neutral side idea kind of gets me wondering like, how are they going to do that? Or they're just going to take everything away. How do they do that? Do they just play the fight song through the loudspeaker? After mm-hmm. big plays, for oh yeah, you know, that would be an idea. You know, and and I, I agree with them a little bit. You know, but I also feel bad for you know some of these college kids who who are part of the band and whatnot. And you know, a, a big thing for them is like going on the road. You know, they're getting to travel to all these stadiums, like you know, like the football team. You know, and and they're getting to experience some of those things. So I don't, I almost feel bad for those kids, but you know, I understand with the heightened. Uh, sense of, of safety and public health in mind why they would do that so it, it makes a ton of sense all right Kim did you see this sports center came out with their top 10 college football moments on I guess it was like their top 10 plays of the of college football and I thought there were some interesting ones on there you know Doug Flutie's Hail Mary pass mm-hmm, that's we've a classic seen, we've seen that time and time again how about Stanford versus Cal? The band is on the field. Yeah. You know, that's that's a great one. You know, it's funny, though. Did you I see need to who, go back and watch that. You need to go back and watch it. Do you remember who number two was on this list? Um, uh, is it Boise State? I know they were Boise up there. Boise State mm-hmm. versus Oklahoma, 2007 Fiesta Bowl, I believe it was. All the trick it, plays? All the trick plays. The hook and ladder. Uh, I think they did the the Statue of Liberty play as well. Yeah, that was um, awesome. Um, you know, yeah, it was great. Uh, so I thought it was interesting uh, when I was going through and I was like, all right, so who, who are they going to put at the top? And then I saw the Boise State, uh, 
Oklahoma game on there, and I was like, okay, so there's only they're only leaving one because yeah. I went through the top ten and I didn't see them anywhere on there, and then I get to number one, and it's that play we've seen five hundred million times. And it it's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. It, it never gets old. It they never does, and. And it was, I think the article is specifically to like the sports center top 10 moments or plays or whatever. And so um, that's always like the most exciting highlights, but it kind of combines like excitement and the hype surrounding the game. And maybe it's a fluke play or like, obviously, like you mentioned, a trick play or something like that. But I think that environment in itself and the hype and USC's legacy at the time, and obviously that entire fourth quarter, even when Texas stopped uh, USC on fourth down, and obviously that uh, last scramble by Vince Young was classic. And I think, um, just because it is probably the best to this day still um, college football game to ever be played. I think it has to be up there um, in both, obviously, like I mentioned, top games and top moments just because it was so classic. And obviously everyone's seen that picture of Vince Young um, holding up a ball out while he was running into the corner of the end zone. I think that's uh, very classic. But I also like that they added something fairly recent. That was a two-hour when he came in and saved Alabama on that long touchdown pass. I thought that was pretty exciting, but – Obviously, I don't think the hype, I guess, was there, like what was at uh, USC in Texas. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny that you bring up, you know, flute plays and whatnot, but even when you bring up the Vince Young, you know, fourth and five, rush around the end, get to the corner of the end zone, you know, you talk about that, and, and it was not a fluke at all. Oh, honestly. no way. Uh, I mean, because in that game, he had 200 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. He had none throwing, but he did throw for like 267 yards. So he counted for a ton of yardage in that game. It's just it was just interesting that um, when you when you factor in just how great Vince Young was in that game, and I know we've talked about it time and time again, but you know it was nice to see. And it, it goes back to that conversation we had a few episodes ago when we were talking about the top 50 players from 24 seven. Uh, and Vince Young was like way down there, and it's like, yeah, that was ridiculous. Even watch the Rose Bowl. You know what? You don't even have to mention that Rose Bowl. Did you watch the Rose Bowl the year before? Because he was really good in that one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so yeah, I thought that was interesting. But let's let's talk about NFL mock drafts. Uh, so t- I believe this was Luke Easterling of DraftWire mm-hmm. uh, put out his mock draft where he had Sam Cosme 18th. Yeah, I thought that was fairly low for him, I guess, in terms of the early on projections. We've seen him kind of within the 10 to 15 range. Um, And I think, obviously, with another solid season, he could actually squeak into the uh, top 10, kind of late in the top 10 range, 8 to 10. But, um, yeah, I thought that was a little bit low for him. But um, they also had Caden Stearns on there, too, which uh, I actually agreed with where he was put. You know, it's interesting because I looked at a recent mock draft from 24-7 sports, and they didn't even have Sam Cosby in the first round. Weird. Which I was like, you know, because it seems like every mock draft we've looked at and every draft analyst we've listened to, they all feel like Sam Cosby is the best offensive tackle in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. And he's like either two or three, depending on who you like better at offensive tackle because obviously Panay Sewell from Oregon is number one consensus mm-hmm. on the board. Um, and then it seems like Samuel Cosme and Alex Leatherwood of Alabama kind of swap between two and three. Right. You know, and, and I, and I get that, you know, and, and so when you look at it, you know, but it's amazing though, if you talk about Sam Cosme where he came from, he wasn't even top 100 at his position. 
Jeez, yeah, he kind of, I, mean, I guess, skyrocketed in the, within the past year or two. Yeah, you know, playing right tackle, moving to left tackle uh, with with the departure of Connor Williams, you know, he kind of took over that role. And you, you're right, it, it just goes to show you, um, you know, more often than not, like I know that we fall in love with recruiting rankings, but once those classes are signed and those kids get on the field, those rankings don't really mean much. Right. Yeah, they're, they're cool if you want to compare – you know, how's Texas doing versus Oklahoma? But as we've seen, like Texas beats Oklahoma every single year on the recruiting trail, but it hasn't translated onto the football field. And it goes the same with these these kids like Cosme, you know. Um, and, you know, like we talked about at the top of the show, Patrick Mahomes, he had three major offers coming out of, out of high school. He yeah, and he was only star. a three-star recruit, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He was like that. top 20 pro-style quarterback, and, you know, now he's the highest-paid athlete. Uh, in all of sports. So, you know, it doesn't mean a whole lot, but, you know, I just thought it was interesting. They had Sam Cos, he's so low as far as where we kind of think he's projected. And I think that, mm-hmm. ha- and, and going back to our conversation earlier, I think having the season is only going to help him because uh, that puts him, that'll give him another year of really solid tape uh, and prove that he is the best offensive tackle in the Big 12. Coming up next, we're going to get into the best coach quarterback duos in college football hot seat rankings, and where Texas is projected to finish, according to 24-7 Sports. Tammy, when it comes to top quarterback head coach duos in college football, mm-hmm. who are the top ones that you think of? Um, I think Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields obviously have to be up there because their talent alone, um, I guess, kind of can carry, uh, I guess, average coach. Um, so I think they definitely be my top. But Sam Ellinger, Sam Ellinger and Tom Herman are definitely up in that top five. Yeah, they'd be on top five. For me, I think I'd probably go Dabo and, and Trevor Lawrence and then go Day and Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Herman and Ellinger would probably be really up there. Maybe third for me. I don't know. I, I can't. And the other one, obviously, that I think of is Brock Purdy and Matt Campbell. Yeah, but surprisingly, um, on ESPN's list of the quarterback coach duos, Brock Purdy wasn't even mentioned um, within the top five or within several of the other kind of descriptions that they put people under. So um, our top three is exactly how ESPN had it. And then they also had Minnesota's P.J. Fleck and Tanner Morgan. And um, surprisingly, Texas A&M's Jimbo Fisher and Kellen Mund at number five. You know, there's one that is not mentioned in the top five. That kind of surprised me, mm-hmm. and that's Mac Brown and Sam Howe out of you. Yes, so they were actually listed uh, the first one outside of the top five, but they were listed under what they call the odd couple. So they're still kind of trying to figure out that duo. And then under the safest gamble was a Big Twelve school, Oklahoma's Lincoln Riley and Spencer Rattler. Um, we kind of all think that's a pretty safe gamble there, but still inexperienced. Um, under the radar was Louisville with um, Cunningham and Satterfield, and then. Actually, former Texas quarterback Shane Bouchelle was listed on here as well, and he was under the uh, description of the castoffs who found the perfect home. So we can all agree that he's doing very well there. But, yeah, there's a couple interesting ones. I know the biggest mystery was Bo Nix um, out at Auburn. He's obviously still pretty young. But, um, yeah, Iowa State wasn't actually listed on here, but they were listed, I guess, in what you would consider an honorable mention, which they called the best of the rest. So Brock Purdy was the first one mentioned on that. And then there's also Kyle Trask at uh, Florida. So, yeah, I thought it was a pretty realistic list. Yeah, I mean, I think that when you think of, like, the top three, 
I think that's pretty much the consensus, mm-hmm. you know, and so it makes a ton of sense. And we all know the expectation level for Sir Sam Ellinger, or Tom Herman this coming season. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of interesting that, you know, this is really, I kind of look at Ellinger as kind of Tom Herman's first, you know, because yeah. his quarterback essentially. Um, I know he was recruited prior to Herman's arrival, but he stuck with him. So I kind of look at that like those two were kind of married together throughout this whole process. Yeah, and I think I actually put that in the article when I was um, going over this was that Herman's really, truly going to be tested once Ellinger leaves. I think uh, that'll determine kind of um, where he is at as a head head coach within this program and things like that. But um, yeah, that dude has just been around uh, for several years now. So you kind of expect them. And um, obviously Ellinger's having a lot of ex- success. And so I think either you have a really talented quarterback that can kind of lift up an average coach, or you have a really uh, knowledgeable coach who can kind of lift up an under the radar quarterback. So I think they're just a perfect duo. Yeah. And, and so talking about this going into this season and then obviously next year is really where you're going to find out just what you, what you have in Tom Herman with a different quarterback. Uh, So Dennis Dodd of CBS sports came out with his hot seat rankings that he puts out every year. Uh, He breaks it out into five categories, obviously zero is untouchable and five being either you win or you're out. Tom Herman came in at four and which is got to turn it around. And so um, surprising a little bit, you know, because he was really viewed uh, in the ranking of zero to five. He was a two last year. You know, many thought that coming off the Sugar Bowl uh, win over Georgia, uh, the season that they had, Big 12 mm-hmm. championship appearance. Uh, and then, obviously, the wheels came off last season. They went eight and five. They did beat a talented Utah team in an Alamo Bowl. But let's be honest, nobody thought that Texas would fall uh, into a category where they were going to be playing in the Alamo Bowl versus a New York. Yeah, New York with State. five losses especially. But I think that obviously that LSU loss kind of derailed their season in a bit, in my opinion. I think they put a lot of uh, stock into that game, and they obviously played really well in that game. They just didn't come out on top. But um, I just think that kind of like had them sink their heads down a little bit for the rest of the season. But I think maybe that – the reason he's kind of at a four this season is because he did get a chance to revamp his coaching staff. And I know a lot of national media outlets and things like that were expecting the 2020 season to be the year um, Herman, along with that young roster, kind of got things turned around. So I think the expectations are a little bit higher this season than they were previously. Um, Herman's obviously been there uh, several years now. Um, like I just mentioned, he has Mike Yersich coming in and Chris Ash with a new defensive scheme. So it's kind of his one chance to get everything um, turned around. Obviously, Ellinger is a senior quarterback, very experienced Heisman contender. So um, now is kind of the roster and the chance for him to make that next step. And I think obviously he's going to be tested uh, with whoever Sam Ellinger's successor is after this. And so I don't know. I think he's under a lot of pressure, but I wouldn't necessarily say he's on the hot seat. Yeah, I th- I think it's like you said, the not a whole lot of pressure, but yeah, think about it. I think next year is really his big year, right? Because when you look at it, next year will be the first year where there are no Charlie Strong players on the staff, right? On the roster. You know, it is his recruiting class. I always, the, I always feel like the fifth year is really when you start to understand what you have in a head coach. Obviously, Charlie Strong didn't make it to his fourth year, uh, but. 
I think of the circumstances in which he wasn't able to be consistent enough on the football field as far as his product, I think that played a lot into it. And the reason why I think Tom Herman is viewed as not as hot on his seat is because he went in and won his first three bowl games, right. one being a New Year's, New Year's Six bowl game. So I think that, you know, that played into a lot. But, you know, next year I think is really where we're going to find out how hot is his seat. Uh, you know, if if they were to go into another season, eight and five, seven and six, I think that that seat oh. is going to be liquid. <laughs> on fire. Magma. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have lava underneath his chair if yeah. if they have a seven, six, eight, and five season. Oh, if he uh, even makes it there, yeah. If that he even makes rough. it there. <laughs> uh, well, according to twenty four seven Sports, they did their media poll on how the Big Twelve is going to shake out. Texas fourth. They what? come in behind Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State. That is a little rough, in my opinion. I, I know it's a four team race, or I guess. A lot of people believe it to be a four-team race for the Big 12 title this season, but ooh, I just don't see with the talent, I guess, on offense specifically in your such coming in who isn't afraid to uh, be aggressive. He obviously, like you mentioned, wants to put up over 45 points a game, but I, yeah, I do not see them finishing fourth. I think they're um, the lowest I would maybe put them as three, missing just missing out on the Big 12 title game, but I really do believe they have the talent to make it there. Yeah, it's when I – First saw that I was like, I I didn't buy into it because I think it's really a three team race. Uh, no disrespect to what Matt Campbell and Iowa State is doing, but I just don't think that they have the firepower to compete with an Oklahoma, uh, with an Oklahoma State um, because you know a lot. There's a lot expected of Oklahoma State. Obviously, they're going into the season with you know that three headed monster on the offensive side. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you talk about Spencer Sanders, Tylen Wallace, Chuba Hubbard. You know, and then you look at Texas. And Texas has obviously they have Sam Ellinger. Texas has a three-headed monster at running back with Keontae Ingram, mm-hmm. with Roshaw Johnson, with B. John Robinson. They got Tariq Black to come in from Michigan. Uh, Brennan Eagles, who they hope is going to be there. You got Jake Smith. We didn't even talk about Jordan Whittington. And then you look at the tight ends. They got Malcolm Epps, and they have some young guys behind him who can do some stuff. I mean, obviously, Cade Brewer is going to be the starter, but he's not the offensive threat. As some of these other guys are. But when you look at the offenses as a whole, and then you look on the defensive side of the ball, there are some playmakers on these teams. So that's why when I look at that, I just don't think Iowa State, as good as they are, as well coached as they are, and and I think they're playing above their talent level. uh, I don't think that that's something that can keep up year in and year out. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I want to say Iowa State has that potential, but that's really uh, as far as I'll go on that. I mean, obviously, Brock Purdy is going to be a top NFL draft prospect probably at his position if he has another solid year. And I think um, obviously a quarterback can kind of carry your team in a way. But yeah, I, I think like you mentioned, the other three teams are just too strong in that sense. I would probably put Iowa State at four. I'm just really curious to see how Texas does against Oklahoma State. I think that's going to be um, such a key game. Obviously, Oklahoma always is, but I think one that's kind of under the radar is the Oklahoma State game. They absolutely have to win that game. Yeah, I agree. I, I do think that that's one of those games that they have to win. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Locked On Longhorns podcast. For Tammy, I'm Patrick. Keep it locked on. Welcome. <laughs>